Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. And it's a beautiful Tuesday outside and I'm hoping we're going to have a bit of rain later. The wind is coming up, so maybe we will. Uh, today I have joining me in the studio a little bit later, Rabbi Levi Upson, and uh, he'll be arriving shortly. But in the meantime, our topic is finding self. Now, after last week's program, I had a lot of people saying to me, how can we possibly find ourselves? How can we find happiness? Um, how can we find meaning in life? Now, I have said so often on this show that no one can actually give that to you. You know, we we have to look for happiness. We have to create happiness. It doesn't just happen. Viktor Frankl said it actually ensues. It means that it comes from something else that we may, maybe are doing. And I think that's an important uh, lesson to teach our children because so often they just think, or, or our grandchildren, uh, they think that everything should just make them happy and we care to make them happy. I think they need to understand that happiness is actually not... It's not something that just happens. It's almost like meaning. Sometimes you've got to search for the happy happiness within. And you know, at the, the last, at the World Cup now, the Rugby World Cup, there was a be- I received a beautiful saying which said, everyone smiles in the same language. And I love that because to me, that was finding ourselves in that moment. Um, and everyone was smiling, I, I mean, just across all nations you saw there. What I loved was seeing the little Japanese fellow walking on with our team and singing the anthem. I thought that was one of the cutest things I'd seen. Now, I want to just uh, you to imagine, picture this little tortoise. Have you ever seen a tortoise that slips off a, off a, a grass or a, a little ledge and lands it on its back? What does it do? Its little legs flail about. Uh, it's frantic, actually, to try and right itself. Well, I received this beautiful little picture of a, a tortoise lying on its back and looking up at the sky. And he says, in total amazement, Oh my gosh, I am flying. And at the bottom it says, Optimism is the best way to see life. I love that little picture. I mean, if you actually go into probably Pinterest and Tortoise, you might even find it there. I don't know, but it meant a lot to me. Um, You know, inside ourselves... And that's another question that came through. How do we stop the voices inside ourselves? Well, in we do have this internal voice without doubt. And we interpret every situation that arises. We have this internal voice. It, it actually shapes our perception. And just as that little tortoise lying on his back looked up and said, I'm flying, that was his perception. And our inner voice does this to us. It shapes our perception of what we are experiencing. 
And what so often happens is that we become the biggest critic in our own heads. We are our own critics. We build on this, always expecting the worst, uh, on our fear, on our anxiety, on our worry. And I think as South Africans, it's something we really have to work on. Um, you know, uh, the Captain Khaleesi and um, Rassi Erasmus said it so clearly when they said we have to work together. And when working together, we actually can make a difference. And I think this is the same with, with this fear and anxiety. We sometimes surround ourselves with people who are voicing their fears, their anxieties about our country, about our security, about everything. And what happens? Just as happiness is contagious and just as a smile can be contagious, so can fear and anxiety. And you only have to put down the telephone from someone who has told you a horrific story to actually realize that it is contagious. My daughter in Israel was telling me the other day that her husband, who's a, an American, a Moroccan American, was saying that he can't believe what happens in South Africa, well, in Johannesburg in particular, that within minutes everyone knows about it in Israel. And the fact is, I think probably especially in Renana, but the fact is that we are a very close community. We're a small community. We are a very close community. So we are impacted by the different things that happen. And, you know, each person knows someone who knows someone. So the news gets back. And I suppose as an outsider looking in, it came as quite a surprise to me that as an outsider that he was looking in, all he saw was, my gosh, you know, these, these terrible stories of, of people who had passed away and tragically. And, and um, it gave me quite a shock because I thought, what are we sharing on our, in our phone calls, on social media? Is it always the bad news? And uh, I think it's something we need to be aware of. We also need to be aware of our own negative self-talk. Because this reinforces our feeling of helplessness. Have you ever been in a situation where you actually think, oh no, I'm, I'm going to actually pass out here. This is, it's too much for me. I'm claustrophobic. Uh, you're walking into a, a crowd and you suddenly think, I actually can't go any further. This, it's too crowded. There are too many people. Too many people are rushing up to say hello and you can't handle it. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but it is one of the things that I do feel myself quite often. If I go into crowds, I almost have to put a protective layer around myself to, to settle myself so that I can move forward. Now this, but, but then I stop that negative uh, talk. I try and say to myself absolute nonsense and try and laugh. And it's quite, um, to myself, it's quite amazing how if we laugh at ourselves, we actually begin to laugh a little bit more at the world too. And it's not as scary. You know, I was thinking of a child on a, one of those roundabouts and that I remember a long time ago, and this little child was going round and round and round on the roundabouts, and the mother was pushing the roundabout, and my gosh, she fell off. And I remember seeing the little child's uh, face of absolute terror, because there the mother was rolling in the dust next to the roundabout. And uh, anyway, the roundabout stopped, 
And um, it's one of those ones that, you know, you have to push with one foot and one foot on. So the mother was pushing it. And this little child was terrified when he saw the mother uh, fall. But what happened? She got up and she was laughing. And immediately the little child started to laugh again. And she showed that he would not ever be fr- uh, fear, uh, afraid of a fall like that again because he knew it could be turned to laughter. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. I now want to welcome Rabbi Levi Aftson, who's just arrived in the studio with me. It's just so nice to be together behind our mics again. Yeah, it's been a while, huh? It has been a while. Rabbi Aftson is the chief rabbi of uh, Lingsfield Shul, Senderwood Shul, and is doing amazing, amazing work there. Uh, if none of you have been to our new show, please come and see it, and uh, you'll be booking your events there, definitely. He's also a presenter on Chai FM, actually, after me. Are you going to be doing your show today? Please, God. A few minutes late, but I'll be here. Okay, a few minutes late, but he'll be there. Great. And his show is called Frebringen, and he's also a blogger, a frequent blogger on Chabad.org. Gosh, you're really making me sound good, huh? Well, yeah, you are good. You, you mean a lot to me. I sh- what else shall I say about you? He's also incredibly supportive of my family and I. So there we are. Welcome, Rabbi. Awesome. I was telling the story about this little tortoise that was lying on its back. And it, um, it was looking up at the sky. And little tortoises don't normally lie on their backs. They hate lying on their backs. And um, he was looking at the sky, and he suddenly said, Oh, my gosh, I'm flying. So uh, the l- little saying underneath was optimism is the best way to see life. But I think it's also perception. What would you think? Hmm. Well, is that optimism or is that just denial? <laughs> <laughs> you mean he's lying on his back, he needs help. Yeah, I mean, when we grew up, we heard the story about uh, the kid who climbed on top of a bookcase and then said, I'm so holy, I'm going to fly, and then broke his arm. So, <laughs> All so right. I, I always find uh, interesting, um, I always find, we always say, like, you could do everything you can, everything you want. And I find that statement inspirational, but also dangerous, and that is, you can't do everything you want, you could do what you were put here to do. Not necessarily what you were put here to do is what you want. Mm. So I might want to be the world's best boxer. With my physique, even if I went training 20 hours a day, I would never become the world's best boxer. So I cannot be whatever I want to be. But I can be what I was meant to be. So the best you. Yes. And I think that's a very important thing when we talk about, you know, self-awareness and growth and dreams. This idea you can be whatever you want to be is a very false idea. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily, first of all, it's not true. And also I think it's dangerous because then we, we aspire, we climb the wrong ladder. You can play your part. Mm, I think that's that's very important, actually, playing your part. If you'd like to SMS us, we'd love to hear from you on um, 34519. Or you can telegram us on 61 895 Please join the conversation. Um, Rabbi, I was also just talking we, in my, on my program last week. Um, a few people asked afterwards about finding happiness. Does happiness just happen? How do we find happiness? 
And I was saying that uh, Viktor Frankl says it in shoes. You know, in other words, it it happens. You you don't just search for happiness. You've got to. So happiness is well. a, happiness is a very interesting um, concept because I've personally heard uh, hundreds of lectures on happiness, and on the one hand, happiness is the beginning of the journey. In another way of thinking, happiness is the end of the journey. In another way of thinking, happiness is your companion on the journey. And I think they're all true. In I different think ways. they're all true. Absolutely. So what you're saying is on our walk through life, we come across different people also, you know, different companions um, who actually fulfill other areas in our lives. And in, it's in those connections that we often find happiness. Mm. Or and in the doing. Yeah, and I think it just makes the journey a little more pleasant. Mm. Um, again, that's why I think it's a good companion because it just gives a perspective. Um, other people, as I said, see happiness as the destination. There's an element to that as well. And then there's happiness as the impetus to start the journey. And I think they're all different elements of the same concept. And, that, and I think we often interchange the idea of happiness with serenity and clarity and inner peace. And I guess contentment. Contentment. And mm-hmm. I think when people say happiness, they actually mean that. I don't mm-hmm. think they mean a uh, comedy show laughter. Contentment. And contentment, I don't think, is a destination. I do believe it's part of it is a destination. But on the mo- most part, it's a attitude that just makes life's journey a little more pleasurable. Absolutely. More, yeah. No, I must admit, I think to go through life alone is would be, for me, the most tragic thing, quite honestly. Yeah. Loneliness is the single biggest mm. danger to most people. I once t- I told people on the show that I once said to my dad about someone who had hurt uh, another person very deeply, I said, well, I just hope, because of betrayal, I said, I just hope one day he ends up as a lonely old man. And my father was beyond shocked that I should say that. He said, that is the worst curse you could give to anybody. Wow. Loneliness. Mm. And it's always shocked me to, uh, and, and actually awakened me to how loneliness actually is a curse. It's such a, a low place to be, isn't it? Mm. And we're in the loneliest generation in history. Why would you say that? Huh. So first of all, I mean, the facts are relationships don't last as much as they used to. Okay, we could go into the psychology of that. Uh, I think we have fake friends on technology. I don't think, I think we, we're very busy with our work, so in the years that it takes to nurture relationships, we don't. And then later on in life when all we live off are relationships, we have, there was no investment, so there's nothing to live off. Uh, or we invest too much in certain relationships, and then we have this empty nest. Yeah. And I would also think that there's a tremendous focus in our systems on IQ, not EQ. Absolutely. So not everybody really knows how to build a relationship, and they they have all the good intentions, but they just can't. Mm-hmm. And, like, we don't define success in an education system by how well somebody walks out with relation, relationship ability. We don't. You're absolutely right, and we really should. And coming from the medical profession myself, I think that was one of the things that was so sorely lacking was that emotional intelligence. 
you know, certainly the intelligence, the IQ was there, but the emotional intelligence, that empathy, that actually uh, connecting with the patient on a, on a level beyond what was just presented in the latest blood results or whatever, that to me is EQ. Mm. And I've unfortunately witnessed all too often good people, you know, like sometimes it's, you know, people with real sickness, etc., that can't hold on to a relationship. But I'm saying like good, decent people, functional people who just don't know how to talk to a spouse. Like just they don't have the EQ. They don't know how to talk to a child. They don't have the EQ. They just don't understand people. They don't. And, and they could have had they been taught. Absolutely. Uh, Craig, let me just announce this first, okay, as we go into it. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I've actually got negative self-talk going on in my own head because just before we went to advert, I actually asked Craig something, and I didn't realize we were still on air. So this negative self-talk is kind of uh, reinforcing my, my head at the moment, but Rabbi Afsan's opposite me looking a bit confused about my negative self-talk. Why so would now you? Are going, why would I? You're right. We're now going to listen to a very short YouTube. It's called In the Face of of uh, terror, the human spirit endures. It was actually done in 2015, but it's so relevant. This week, parents looked at the questions on the faces of their children and did their best to make sense of the senseless. How to explain what is the meaning of life if life is lost so easily to those who hate? In Paris, we recognized each and every face. We know them. We met in Oklahoma City, in New York and Washington after 9-11 and after the last mass shooting. Familiar in every time and every place. Children serene because they don't understand. Parents in anguish because they can't understand. Today, a Parisian, Antoine Lloris, found his answer. His wife, who he called the love of his life, was killed Friday, leaving him to write a letter to the terrorists for himself and his 17-month-old son. You will not have my hatred, he told the killers. This little boy will insult you by being happy and free. The letter reminded us of Viktor Frankl, the psychiatrist who endured Auschwitz-Birkenau. The love of his life was lost in the death camps. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, Frankel wrote, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude. Or, as Antoine Larris put it today, we are two, my son and I, but we are stronger than all the armies of the world. The search for an explanation leaves us with silence until we search inside, in these times, don't ask the meaning of life. Life is asking, what's the meaning of you? This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, Rabbi Afson and I are together on Finding Human. And uh, you've just listened to that short YouTube. And actually, it, um, it very much goes back to what you said about finding ourselves. You know, and what what did you think of that YouTube? I thought his last line was extremely powerful. Mm. We spend way too much time asking 
life what its meaning is without wondering maybe life is asking that question back to us and to be able to actually ask that in his pain and his loss i think shows a, a very high emotional state uh, emotional eq quite honestly and a deep spirituality a deep Absolutely. clarity of purpose mm. Um, I think often when we go through tragedy and we go through difficult moments, our clarity becomes hazy. But for other people, often their clarity actually becomes sharpened. Because the stark moments in our life either have the opportunity of making things murky or they put things in such sharp focus. So true. And we can actually choose to see whether it's going to remain murky or if it's, you know, the muddy, when you walk into, go into a muddy area, or even when we turn our taps on, uh, after they, they've been shut off, our water's been shut off, and that comes out brown and, and you've got to wait for it to clear. I often think that in tragedy, we go into that murky area first. And it takes a while for it to actually begin to clear. Not, uh, not immediately. It's got to flow. Life has to flow for a while before it begins to to actually show a bit of clarity. But look at this person. That was within two days of his wife dying. So I do think we're all different. Um, but I do think that we can, even if it starts off murky, as you said, we can head towards clarity. We can have the starkness. And for me, that's the the, the blessing in the challenges that if you... Look deep inside. You'll see things with such clarity. I remember when I was held up not too long ago and was tied up for a long time next to my wife. And at the moment, it was obviously terrifying and heart-stopping. But then there was also this tremendous appreciation for the person I married. And for the life I have, and it just gave a clarity that I don't think 20, 30 years of marriage would have given me. Mm. Amazing. So actually, that turned into a gift to you. Mm. It just The hardship turned into a gift. Yeah, sometimes like our minds play funny games, and for something to become truly clear, you need such a shake-up, and suddenly... The truth is so stark in front of your face. So true. You know, I know when my father passed away, I was with him a lot and with him at night. And I I haven't discussed his whole journey of of dying before, but it was incredibly powerful. So powerful that in actual fact, the pain of his loss was um, almost cushioned by what I knew I had to do next. Because of his loss So his Going through that pain Actually pushed me forward To reclaim my own life And to become A different person And that was in the face of pain I must admit that it happened But he had also led me So I think sometimes we have these teachers In our lives Who come in and often we don't even recognize Them as teachers And they do steer us into a different way and only when we look back on our lives that we actually are able to say good heavens did I find myself in that pain absolutely Um, 
You've been through that lately. Yeah, I think we, we, we all go through... I'll put it this way. We all know the truth of our lives. Every person knows the truth. I find very few people that don't have a strong sense of morality. But what happens is often it gets covered by something. It gets covered by negative experiences or it just gets covered by the whole drum of life. Just, you know, the monotone and the things of the busyness of life. And that clarity that we had, that moral clarity that we had, which is still there, mm. it's, it's not filtering into our mind in a very clear way. The, the water is dirty. Mm. Mm. And sometimes it takes either an incredible blessing or an incredible challenge to literally just re-put on the filter and rediscover our inner morality and rediscover that clarity, which technically we could have always discovered, mm -hmm. but we allowed life to just create a few layers above it. And you're so right there because, you know, if I have to ask somebody, a lot of people, um, about experiences in their lives, they will tell you the obstacles often, the challenges, the obstacles. You very seldom hear what's come out of those challenges. And, you know, I was reading about Ben Zoma in um, Ethics of the Fathers when he says, who is wise? And it says, one who learns from every every man. Who is strong? One who overpowers his evil inclinations. Who is rich? One who is satisfied with his lot. Who is honorable? One who honors his fellow men. The Jewish wisdom shows how all four of these are internal. It's all up to each of us because it's inside us. So rich, who is rich? It's your attitude, not, not about how much money you've got. It's your attitude towards life. Who is strong? Your inner strength. You know, how have you coped with those challenges, those obstacles? Who is honorable? Once again, it's that inner strength to do the right thing when sometimes your, the other part of your mind is wanting you to do something else. And I just found this so amazing because I also went on to read that the Torah defines someone who is righteous, not as someone who has succeeded, but someone who persevered to get up from challenges. King Solomon actually said a righteous man falls down seven times and gets up. Now, I mean, I'm preaching to the converted, you. So <laughs> All of us can hear what, what do you think about those internal internal wisdom of who, who is rich and who is honorable? So I was watching an interesting TED Talk that came out actually quite recently about the power of a story, that we all tell ourselves stories. And, what, and whatever reality we're telling ourselves is just a story. There is no reality. But we are the authors of it. Yeah, I'm saying, but there's very few objective reality. Yeah, Absolutely. the sun rises in the morning and goes down at night. That's objective reality. But when we tell our stories, for example, let's say, Sue, tell me your life story. You're going to choose, I don't know, 20 events. Why are you choosing those 20? Because somehow you created a narrative out of it. Mm -hmm. That might not necessarily be the 20 most defining things of your life. But those are the things that you've become aware that defined you, or for some reason it fits into the narrative of your life. So we all tell ourselves stories. In other words, our reality, our perception of reality is all what we choose to make it. And you can be an editor 
of your story. You can literally not only be a writer, you could be an editor. That is so true. I once uh, attended a, a workshop, and that's exactly what happened, actually. We were asked to just list, like, ten major events in our lives that we saw as, as you know, turning points, major events, whatever. And then we were asked to unpack each event. And what came out, as you say, we, we had to re-edit. It was quite amazing how what we had thought was a major challenge, how we had actually coped with it, what it actually brought into our lives, what it took out of our lives. It, it was quite amazing, actually. It made me really, it began to make me doubt my entire life story. <laughs> and I think that this talk, like it resonated deeply. I don't, he wasn't that clear about it, but... Uh, one of the points of the editing, and that is I think we spend too much time writing our story and too little time editing. Yeah. But a good writer knows that what makes a good book or a good article is not how much you write but how much you edit. Abs- that is so true. Please join us in our conversation if you'd like to on 34519 SMS or Telegram 061-895-1019. Now, you know, I think our own story, first of all, we create daily. I mean, the, the events that you had yesterday are very different to today. And today you're, you're probably going into quite a, a difficult situation. Yesterday you might have had a fun day. But each day actually demands something else of us, and it's called the demand quality of yeah, life. Yeah, but here's the funny thing. But each day we also, some, for some reason, whether we slept well the night before, ate well, uh, you know, how our day started, we'll also interpret the events of the day very differently. Mm. In other words, you could have the exact same days, you know, Groundhog Day. You could have two days exactly the same, but interpret both days very differently based on the way, uh, what glasses you're wearing that day, mm. what lenses, what predisposition you have on that day to interpret. Are you in a optimistic? Are you in a self-esteem mood? Are you comfortable with your own, in your own skin? Mm. Or mm. are you paranoid? All that will have a huge effect on, the, on what you think your reality of the day was. And also the people, that might be your interpretation, but I said just before you arrived that what often happens, we, we have our own interpretation of it and then we go in and mix with different people, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, school lifts, whatever it might be. But um, their their perception is what's, of what's happening often does spill over onto us. Their anxieties, their fears, especially in South Africa at the moment, their fears, their anxieties, their, the negative talk, so that a person might arrive quite positively, <clears throat> but eventually this negative talk becomes a negative self-talk instead of stopping and saying, well, actually, that's not how I view the world. Why should I? Well, you know, that's their view, mm. not mine. Hundred percent, a hundred percent. But again, uh, let's start. I really think this this point is extremely powerful. Stop writing your life story and start editing it. Mm. I mean, if your life story has led you to healthy relationships, um, moral decisions, self esteem. I don't, am I talking about any, any living person? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> if it's led to all that stuff, then yeah, continue writing. But if somehow writing your life story has led you to impulsivity, uncomfortable relationships, rigidity, unforgiveness, 
etc. And start editing. Mm. Start editing. You could, like I remember, you know, I don't consider myself a professional writer, but uh, I'm not amateur either. I've come, you know, I've, I've written a bit of my life. And I remember at the beginning of my writing, like when I used to think that I am the most, my writing is the most profound thing that the world has ever seen. <laughs> and then the editor would come back and literally chop, 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 chop. And I would be like, how could you? That <laughs> sentence was literally worthy of becoming a bumper sticker. It was so <laughs> awesome. A lady quote. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, remember me. Um, but slowly but surely, you come to realize that Good writing is not in how long you can write the sentence, but in how short. And yes, maybe that sentence is the best sentence ever, but is it adding to the article? Or is mm -hmm. it just you trying to play, have a nice play on words with no, with actually just distracting from the article? In other words, we often have great sentences in our life story. I was bullied. The world hated my guts. My mom didn't know what the word love is. You know, that rabbi at my barmy was an absolute stiff upper lip, um, self-centered person who couldn't get any other job other than being a <laughs> rabbi, et cetera, et cetera. And, yeah, and it fits. It's a cool narrative. And it's like we, we all love the self-made story. So, like, you know, nobody believed in me. I didn't have one person that believed in me. I didn't have anyone that thought I'm capable. The religion went against me and my teachers went against me and this and that. And... <laughs> And it, it sounds great, but is it, is it true and is it actually helping? Like I, I personally know somebody who loves the narrative that he's a self-made man. But the problem that is that there, there, are, there are actually people who helped him on his journey, but he has no gratitude to them. Hmm. It doesn't fit his narrative. His narrative is I'm a self-made man. Look at me. Look at the poverty hmm. I come from. Look at the dysfunction I come from. Look what I've made of myself. Yeah, but there have been people on the road that really helped you. So when that fails, when, when in other words, so you're a self-made man and you've reached the top as far as you're concerned, and that top that you think is top fails, what are you left with? That's the question. Yeah. Because so I, often I, your relationships are ruined by then. Hmm. But I would say not even when you get to the top, even on the journey. A journey without gratitude, the journey itself is compromised. The mm -hmm. journey itself is impoverished. To be able to, you know, f look at a story. I, and yeah, I know it feels great to feel that you're a self-made person. I remember there was a stage in my life that I really loved that narrative for myself. I really did. It's just like, do you know what kind of tough life I've had? And look. So first of all, that second part of the sentence, look. Hey, kiddo, you're not such a success story anyway. <laughs> but the first part of the story, it's not true. Mm. And it's, it's, it's actually ungrateful to all the people. And like, I remember at one stage I was sitting with one of my siblings and saying, you know, you never believed in me. That was one of my crazy phases. And my sibling looks at me and says, what are you talking about? We always believed in you. Uh -huh. You interpreted something that, but, and then that person started bringing examples of how they believed and how it actually affected. And I was just so comfortable with that narrative that I built. And it was your perception yeah. of your childhood. And it, it and was your a perception. Life. It was a choice. Also, in other words, mm. I actually wanted that story to be true. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> we create our own stories then often. 
Our own only, we only do that. Yeah. In other words, we all create stories and often because we really like those stories. It's so true. It's hard to let them go. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson. I'm with Rabbi Levi Upson, and we're talking. Our topic is finding self. Really? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Please join us on SMS three four five one nine or Telegram us on zero six one eight nine five one zero one nine if you would like to join in our conversation. And we've actually now just going to listen to a, another shortish YouTube by Charlie Harari. On unlocking greatness. Hey, welcome back to Good Day. Social media can help you stay in touch with friends, stay informed. At least that's what Principal tells me. Uh, and it could also give you a false sense of reality about yourself and others. Author, public speaker, real estate executive Charlie Harari here with his new book. It is called Unlocking Greatness. And your basic premise here is that inside of us is something even better than we already are. Yeah, absolutely. The world out there tells us that we should be, we should be, we should be. But what we have inside us is so much greater than that. And the only question is not really getting greatness, it's actually unlocking what's inside already. Okay, so you look at social media and, and the upside is you know that your friend went on vacation and you get to see the pictures. The downside is you think their life, unlike mine, is perfect. Absolutely. And in fact, social media is the worst thing to do if you want to unlock your greatness because neuroplasticity, your brain actually processes whatever you put in. Yeah. So you're living a life and your life is normal. You've mm -hmm. got kids and you're running and you've got good days and bad days. And then they're posting their best parts of their lives. Yeah. You know, and everything's working out for them. Yeah. And like, like celebrities. You look at, you know, you look at these celebrities and you see them and, and you go, Gosh, everybody but me is beautiful and thin and in great shape and exercises all the time and eats right, and I'm a schlub. Yeah, and they don't realize that that picture required makeup and a hundred takes in perfect lighting. Right. And you're living your life in regular time, and yeah. you're thinking, well, they look great naturally, and I right. don't. Yeah, yeah, and so, and so you look at you know you, you, these group posts, the family, the perfect family, the kids are behaving, the dog is sitting there, you're looking at you, looking adorable, and you're going, why are my kids such a mess? Yeah, a lot of times people tell me that when they look at other people's family pictures, they're thinking, yeah. how come everyone's so well behaved? They're such good kids. Maybe I'm not a good parent, and they don't realize that that picture would took a hundred takes. Right, right, and because. We don't see that part. And social media doesn't show you behind the scenes. Yeah. So you look at your life compared to the picture, and it just doesn't match up. Now, you say the term neuroplasticity. It basically means that our, our brain is kind of a, a living organism that can be made to work better. I th think neuroplasticity, and I think doing the crossword puzzle so I don't go senile. <laughs> but it's yeah. more than that, obviously. You're exactly. Neuroplasticity is every time you have a thought, it actually restructures your brain. So when you have certain thoughts that are empowerment, your brain actually creates a world where you're seeing it through a different lens. And so when you look around and you see social media images and you consistently make yourself feel bad, it's shaping your brain and it's changing how you feel about yourself, which will then go into your day. Right. And so every thought you have, whether it's learning a new skill or learning a new way of looking at the world, your thoughts create your reality, creates your brain structure. So, I mean, is this basically the updated version of the power of positive thinking? Yeah, positive thinking is sort of one little piece of this, right? Pos positive thinking says, listen, the more you think positively, the more you'll see positive in the world. Mm -hmm. And it plays off neuroplasticity, but neuroplasticity is so much bigger. It's anything you want to do in life, if you think about it and you use your brain for it, your mind will actually 
adapt, readapt, and shape itself to that new thing. Do I need somebody to come into my life to mentor me to do this, or is this something I can do on it, my own? It's happening every second. Every second, anytime you have a thought, it's happening already. Yeah. And here's the key. When you're aware that it's happening every second, you're mindful to do positive things and learn new things and not get stuck in negativity. And when you realize that it's happening whether you like it or not, you realize just how important it is right. to monitor what's coming into your brain every day. Charlie Herrera, great to meet you. Uh, Unlocking Greatness is the new book, and we've got a link with more information on fox4news.com. Thanks so much. Thanks. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson. I'm with Rabbi Levi Atzan, and we're talking about finding self. Now, you know what uh, Charlie Harari said? We, we know about how the influence of um, social media and everything. But, you know, also, um, I don't know if you found it, but some people meet you with their wounds. So what I'm saying is I, I remember being at a wedding once and being absolutely amazed going up to someone to ask how they were. Actually, I didn't ask how they were. They, before I even... They volunteered. Yeah, they volunteered their wounds, which, you know, uh, and the wounds were their own wounds. You know, it's a, it's a strange thing to say, but that's what some people do. They meet you with their wounds, not with their strengths. Some people? Mm-hmm. Oh, do you find it's more? <laughs> I'm not a rabbi. <laughs> And what, and therefore, what, what would you say the implication of that? Well, I think the implication is that first of all, they are so into themselves. You know, it's like, uh, is it Reb Zusha who said, um, at the end of his life when he was crying and he said, who, you know, who are you? Yeah. And you know, the Zusha group is coming next week to sing at the Shabbos project. Oh, is that so? At the Linksville Tenderwood Shul. Uh, at the base in partnership with Linksville Shul. Wonderful. Oh, wow. Anyway, you know, so this, I think within each of us, there is this reservoir, a reservoir deep within us of whatever it is. It's, it's, you know, they call it uh, memorialized, memorialized suffering. So in other words, we remember our sadnesses, our fears, our failures, our, our pains, our hurts. But we've also got this other reservoir within us, which is the one that has faced the challenges and the obstacles and, and which, which has brought us fortitude, you know, courage, gratitude. And, and I think that's the one that we have to, in order to find ourselves, that's the one that we often have to tap into. What do you think? You said it better than I could ever say it. Okay. 100%. Um, Listen, I do find at some stages in our lives, we are, you know, when we're living through difficulties, there is this need. Like, like again, like, I wonder if you had walked over to me after I went through a tragedy, chances are, because you're, an, you know, a person that is empathetic, chances are I would also start spilling my uh, tragedy. So I do think there are moments of that as well. And oh, I there think certainly it's are or. moments of that, but not at a, a bar mitzvah or a wedding or immediately, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> this is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson with Rabbi Levi Aftson, and we were talking about um, the reservoir within us of of what we've been through, the experiences we've been through, and what we have done with them. And the stories we and, say about them. And once again, we're back to the stories that we say and whether we should edit it. 
edit those or not. So, so often that reservoir is about sadness and fear and what have you, anxiety. But then look at, at the reservoir of the, um, so I'm going to say what, something. What uh, we have gone through. So I want to say something like it, it hit me a few days ago and I was giving it a share. I was talking to some people about it. What's the single biggest story that people are telling themselves in today's day and age? At least what I'm hearing. Again, it's very, it's, it's lovely to get up over there and say, I think seven billion people are all seeing the same story. The story that seems to be rampant. The world is going crazy and we're unable to cope. That's a story that's going out there. Mm-hmm. The world is crazier than ever before and we're unable to cope. Both very false narratives, but more importantly, very dangerous narratives. And I'm not sure which one's more dangerous. Our warped perception of reality or the fact that we're unable to cope, which we tell ourselves that we're unable to cope. And I do look around, you know, whether it's the amount of people that are just unable to cope with their lives, um, people just like give up in the literal sense, in the non-literal sense, people who just can't keep up the fight. There's a story out there that the world is just too scary mm. and that we're too meek and weak and feeble to stand up against it. Do you think it's a contagious story? Yes. And I believe it's a story of our time. That on the one hand, God gave us a world which is more beautiful than it's ever been. More opportunities. Um, less people in poverty. Less death. Less sickness. And if you don't believe anything I say, go research that. And at the same time, more disempowerment. More overwhelmness more depression and um, I'm not saying in a medical sense, but just like people feeling down and low Almost self-esteem, helpless. helplessness, mm. a dark, you know, perception of reality, um, suicide, and just so much, you know, inability seemingly of just coping with the world. And I think they're interdependent. I think when life gets easy, we don't build our resilience muscle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not asking for a hard life, but there's no question that somehow we have to figure out a way to build resilience even within our beautiful lives. Because when life gets a little tough, we just don't cope. No, I agree with you. And that's the most dangerous story of our time, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's that lack of resilience. And I think um, it's perhaps it's, it's certainly maybe we're talking from a, a middle class white perspective. But um, it's uh, we know we we don't really in touch with other people's reality of their lives or perceptions. Um, Rabbi um, Craig is saying that we are wrapping up. Really? Can you believe it already? Craig. Yes. I would like to just end by with this, but you can also end with something. Sometimes you find yourself in the middle of nowhere, and sometimes in the middle of nowhere you find yourself. May we all. Seek and find our own strengths. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being with me, Rabbi Atzon, and I wish you a, a, an easier week. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>